Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church, Abraham's Well. Pastor Joel is preaching from Genesis chapter 21. We're in Genesis chapter 21, Genesis 21. I just want to read the first two verses here. Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. We finally get to the chapter where Isaac is born. If you've been with us, we've been waiting weeks, almost months for this day that Isaac is born, this promised seed is born. Uh, Sarah and Abraham had been waiting at least 25 years for this specific promise, but way longer than that for a child. And they're finally there. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we come to your word and the busyness of uh, life, just what Dan was talking about, Lord, we run, 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 run. And I just know even yesterday, just being so tired from doing all the stuff outside that we've been wanting and waiting to do for so long. Um, Lord, would you just give us rest in our hearts over these next few minutes as we consider your words? that you would give us uh, peace and clarity, Lord, that you'd give us open eyes to see what you are, are, are saying on the words of the pages that were written down uh, so long ago, but are, are written uh, for us today. Let's open our ears, we can hear, soften our hearts, Lord, so that uh, we can unload all of our burdens on you because you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a very, actually a very uh, beautiful, tragic, very complicated chapter. Uh, on Monday uh, this week, I started reading it, and I struggled through reading all kinds of uh, commentaries to make sense of what is going on, because when you first read this chapter, you're like, it seems like a hodgepodge of stories just all dumped down. And so I want to tell you, there's a perspective I got from the very best commentator uh, that I read. Uh, and that commentator's name is the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives perspective on this chapter uh, that helps frame some of those details that you're like, why are they telling us this? And the Apostle Paul and his perspective then will help give meaning to the details and the structure and the overview uh, of this chapter. When Paul read Genesis 21, which was his text that he memorized and chewed and meditated over again and again, he saw it very simply. He saw it as a comparison between two children, a comparison between a child of promise, a child of freedom, a child that had received grace in the Lord's favor, and a child of slavery, a child that was working really, really hard, a child of freedom and a child of 
slavery. So we're going to take that perspective and we're going to put like Apostle Paul glasses on this morning as we look at our text. Because I think when we take them off, it gets confusing and we don't know exactly know what's going on. But when we put them back on, we'll, we'll, some of those things will uh, have more meaning. But before we get there, I want to, I want to set this message up actually uh, by telling you uh, a book that I read about several years ago. I've actually mentioned it before, uh, but I'd rather mention it than actually live through it myself. There's a guy named A.J. Jacobs, who is a, uh, he's an unbelieving Jewish fella in New York City, and he writes. He's an author, and he also comes up with these crazy, strange things that he actually uh, experiments on to try, and, to try and do. And one of the things that he set out to do was to obey all the commands in the Bible, so one year of living biblically, uh, everything, all the 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible, he says, I'm going to try and fulfill all of those uh, commands. So, so he set out and he read uh, everything he could on them, commentaries, everything, and started listing them out, a year of living biblically. Uh, he wrote about it after the, his experience of that year, and CBS actually picked up a show called Living Biblically. Uh, did anyone watch that show? Not a one. It got pulled off the air early, it's not, not surprisingly. <laughs> I think it lasted like six out of the 13 episodes it was scheduled to do. Uh, and they were going to follow kind of a sitcom off of what his experience was. Uh, as he started trying to obey all the laws, uh, he carried stones in his pocket just in case he met an adulterer so that he could stone an adulterer. Well, now he threw pebbles at one guy and said, I've fulfilled the law in throwing pebbles. I don't know if that's so true. Uh, he changed his, his outfit because you can't mix two uh, threads or, or garments of things, so he changed his outfit. He didn't cut his hair because he said, you can't cut the, the corners of your hair. And he says, I didn't know what that was, so I just let my hair grow. Uh, to his wife's like bitter anger, uh, there's, there is a, a law in the, in the commandments in the Torah that says you're not to sit on a seat where a menstruating woman might have sat. Uh, and so he couldn't sit anywhere, and, which his wife was like, she purposely sat everywhere in the house so that he couldn't sit. It's funny, right? That's like, get him back. Yeah. Until he got his own chair, and he just he carried his own chair around for like half a year and sat because he didn't, he's trying to obey the law. So here's, here's the point of what he got to at the end. He, he said, I tried as hard as I could these, these commands and laws were on my mind all the time. And as I was focusing on one, I was breaking like five others. And so then I would try to, to fill these, and I'd be breaking all these others. He's like, there's just no, he said, I got to the end, and I thought, there's no way you can do this. It's impossible. He, he said, at the end of the year, I felt like a slave to the law. And, and I just couldn't, I, I couldn't do enough. It could never be satisfied. The law will never satisfy. It'll, it'll, it'll just push you to more, to do better, be better, do more, give more, and you'll never be satisfied. And this brings us to our, our, our point today. You will only find true freedom in life when you come to Jesus. You only find freedom when you turn from you trying to do it good enough to turning and coming to Jesus and drinking from that well of living water. Everything else is going to run dry. Well, you've probably come here today, like many people who go to a service, and you might even come in here going, okay, I'm here. Uh, Pastor, tell me what I need to do to be good. I want to be a better person, and I see that there's lots of really good people around here, so how can I be a better person? 
Give me a checklist. Give me, uh, give me something to do this week that, that I could at the end of the week go and, boy, I'm a better, I'm a better person uh, this week. Where do I go to serve, to give? Uh, I'll, I'll do whatever you want just so I can try and uh, like get some kind of satisfaction or be okay finally. I'll give. I'll, I'll serve. I won't cuss. Well, as much as I did before. When will the shame and the guilt, when will it go away? When will I be healed? And as we go through the text today, we're going to see the only way you'll find that freedom is when you turn to Jesus. So this chapter is really set up as a comparison between these two children. A child of freedom, a promise, and a child of slavery. The child of promise represented in this birth of Isaac, who's finally come, who actually does nothing in our story other than being born. And then the child of slavery represented in Ishmael. And then we end. So there's those two stories in comparison. And then we'll end with this seemingly random story of Abraham and Abimelech and this argument over a well, and then Abraham planting a tree by the well. And as we get there, we'll tie all that together. So let's... Uh, let's, let's begin uh, reading the first part of it, and we'll look at the, ch- the child of promise. Genesis 21 and verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, or laughter, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when he had his son Isaac, or laughter, uh, was born, when, when his son Isaac, or laughter, was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter, or Isaac, for me. Everyone who hears will laugh, or Isaac, over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old old age. Let's stop right there. You see that? Who, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? That's the plural, right? Children. And yet, she's only have one child, one son. But yet, that one son is like the seedbed of the future promise of what God had said. You will be the mother of a multitude of nations. And so now that God has made this first, uh, first good on his promise of one son, uh, Sarah sees it and says, you believe it? God's word is coming true. A lifetime of waiting frustrations, discouragement, disappointment again and again. And finally, Isaac is born, and Sarah laughs. But she laughs this time, not out of unbelief, but out of extreme joy. Delighting in the word of God, it's finally fulfilled. She could trust his promises. So let me just point out at the end of this, let me just point out three things that describe kind of the situation or the circumstances of this child of promise. Three things that really describe this this child of promise. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, it rests on God's word. It rests on God's word. You notice in verse one and two, 
We've been waiting for Isaac to be born this whole time, and rather than give a whole bunch of credence to, oh, and the child was born, isn't that amazing? The emphasis in in verses 1 and 2 is what God's word had said. You see, as he had said, as he had promised, God had spoken to him. God said it, and now it's being fulfilled. It's true. I have a child, and it's amazing that this child is sick, but even more amazing is that God had promised this so long ago. God's word held to be true at just the right time. There was actually no need for Abraham and Sarah to scheme and plot and work really hard for this because God's word was just as true then as it was when they bore Isaac, as it was when when these nations will come from them. And if only they had believed that 25 years before. Can, can you imagine all the, the heartache and brokenness that they would have saved themselves from? Well, God's word, it brings life to these places. that you, they, Sarah and Abraham, they couldn't even imagine, but now it was here until so they laugh in delight over God's word. The first thing was he rests on God's word. Here's the second one but the child of promise. It responds to God's word. It didn't work or scheme or do anything to to make this promise come true, but once this promise was true, it responded with a heart of joy to it. It, it, So God had commanded, hey, I want you to name the son Isaac. So what's Abraham do? Names him Isaac. Why wouldn't you? God's word is true, so respond to it. He says, I want you to circumcise all the men in your house. And so what does he do with Isaac? He circumcises him. He doesn't circumcise him to to get a son. He doesn't name him Isaac to get the son. He only simply responds to the word of God after God's word has become true. It's just heart of a, a heart of obedience that doesn't come from I'm going to do it so that I will get this. It's God's word is true, and so I'm going to. Why wouldn't I respond? Number three third thing that about this child of, of promise, it, it rejoices in the wonder of God. It rejoices in the wonder of God. We see here, and, and you can kind of go back and forth, but I think it's pretty clear, uh, at least in, in the Hebrew and the other commentators really confirm, like that Sarah here, is she laughing? It's not a laughter of doubt. It's not a laughter of mockery. This is a laughter of pure joy. Uh, and and I'm sure some of you women can even imagine like what it was like when you held your child for the first time. That pure delight. Sarah's heart is, is touched. And so after all these years of waiting and wanting, she finally is holding this child and she's just, uh, she's just l- laughing. How could this be? I'm, I'm 90 years old, and yet God's word has come true, not because of anything I am, but God, like, he gives me the strength or power to be able to do this. Isn't this amazing? I mean, I was as good as dead, and now I'm holding this child. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for, is anything too difficult? This child of promise that she's holding in her hand, and then, and then her heart, so I think, is just worshiping and rejoicing. There's nothing too hard for God. Hebrews 11 says this, in verse 11. It says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
She received like this, this power and this thing inside of her that just like, boy, let's give praise and worship to the Lord who has done this. This child of promise is, it's really just unbelievable that God would do this. And we've been waiting so long and now here it is. Now the author will contrast this child of promise in the first few verses, which seems like after we've been waiting so long, like a blip on the screen. But he'll, he'll, he'll contrast this child of promise with now a child of slavery. And just to have a background in this thing, because as you read it, you're going to read it and you're going to think that uh, Ishmael, who's the other child in this, that this Ishmael is like a little child too. Uh, the way it reads, the, the words that he uses even parallel this child that was just born. Uh, and so we have to know that in this, uh, in this next child that we're going to see, it's actually Ishmael, who's probably more like 15 or 17 years old. So... Uh, I wish we had some of those boys like Blake Miller, uh, put him up here, or Stephen Crover, or Weston Glover, or one of these kids that are like my, my height, and this is who we're talking about. So I just want you to, if they were here, I'd have them come stand up here so you could watch it as we read it, because it's, it's going to be trippy in your mind, uh, and, but there's a purpose uh, for that. So verse 8, let's, uh, let's read as, as the author is really going to contrast Isaac, this child of promise, with Ishmael, a child of slavery. Verse 8 says, And the child grew and was weaned. So talking about uh, Isaac here. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son. Excuse me. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not, uh, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulders along with the child and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's, let's stop right there. This is actually a very tragic scene. Uh, we've just seen that the word of God is true. He had promised a seed to Sarah so long ago, and, and Isaac was born. 
uh, a child was born in her old age, a child of promise that was, was coming. But Hagar and Ishmael were right there to witness all of this. They are free to join in the joy of God's word being fulfilled. But but rather than laughing in joy as well, to see God's word is faithful and true, they they end up laughing in in mockery. Now, in your Bibles, it might even have a a note. It's it's a little bit different Hebrew word. It's the laughing in in mockery. And it's not just a one time, like one time they made fun of them. This is a heart of just mocking and it's not just a heart of, of mocking like, oh, you're old and you have a kid. It's a heart of mocking God's word. God said he was going to do this. Yeah, right. <laughs> God's word is not strong enough. Maybe you heard wrong. It's just the whole thing's a, a fluke. They're, they're mocking God's word, not once but all the time. And so Sarah finally says, we need to cast them out. And God says, yes. The end of this scene, it ends with like this very tragic scene of this, this child under, like being put under a bush. Think 17-year-old under a, a bush, and he's standing away, and they're dying of thirst. They're in the wilderness dying of thirst, but yet right there is a well of water that they can't even see. Like they're dying of thirst, and salvation's right at hand, and they can't see it. It's, it's very tragic. So in the same way, let me point out three things that really describe this child of, of slavery in this circumstance. Uh, the, the, here's the first one. If you're taking notes, for, number one, it rejects the word of God. It laughs in mockery. It says, it's not because God said it. It's just because it happened. It's just a, it's just a fluke. God's word is empty. It doesn't have power. God doesn't care about you and your situation. That's what the laughter was. It's, it's tragic because uh, Hagar, who God had seen in the wilderness, who had said, come back to the land, is now blind and cast out. And this really, this is a tough point, but it really represents a point. There is going to come a time, a dividing point uh, for all of us, for those who trust and delight in the word of God and those who mock the word of God. There'll be a time when they're living together, but there will be a time when, when those two are divided, to be, cast, to be cast out. Well, he gives him this bread and this water on, on their shoulders, the skin of water. And this brings us to our point number two, uh, the description of this child of, of slavery. The second thing is it runs dry. The child of slavery, it's going to run dry. With the seed of water on their back, it's not just some random detail like, oh, and this is the stuff they brought with them. Uh, it's important, and it brings up the skin of water several, uh, several times because a skin of water can only contain so much, and then it runs dry. Uh, when you've drunken it all, it's, it's gone, and that's, and that's it. And so as Hagar and... Ishmael have drinking all the water and they think we're in the wilderness. That's it. We're, death is, is coming. And the, and the irony is, is that within, within eyeshot, there's, there's a well. A, a well is, is something that's connected to the, uh, the source of the water. A, a well, at least theoretically, will not run dry. 
You, you can scoop water from a well and more water comes in. You just have to go and receive the water. It's nothing that you work for. You just come and receive this gift over and over. In the Bible, they call that living water that's connected to the original source. There's a, there's a well of living water right there, but they couldn't see it. And then even as she goes, she doesn't take her son and bring him to the well. She fills up that skin of water and brings him that skin of water, which you know is going to run dry again. And then they're going to have to find water somewhere else again. They're gonna, they're, it's just, it means death. They're going to have to work and work and work over and over again, filling that skin of water, and it's never going to be enough. And it ends in death. It, it runs dry. Here's the last thing, third thing. A child of slavery rests on the law. The tragedy of this is that Hagar takes and tastes this water from the well, brings it to her son, and then the very next thing we see, Hagar's heart drawn back to Egypt. Uh, she's at the very base of the promised land. She takes the water in the skin and then leaves the promised land, heads south. And the first people hearing this story have just left Egypt and are in the wilderness, just about to go into the promised land. And as they hear this story, and they hear of Hagar, who is leaving the promised land, the very, the very southern city, on her way out, and she's retracing the steps that they have just gone to. Uh, she's going to the wilderness of Paran. Now, for us, we're like, doesn't make any... Wilderness of Paran. Okay, I get it. But if I said this... Uh, my wife and I are moving to the area of St. Helens. You probably all have a picture in your mind of what St. Helens is. St. Helens is a town, right? But you have a picture in your mind of what, well, what do you think of when you think of St. Helens? Hopefully, everyone is like me. Mount St. Helens, right? So when you hear St. Helens, you think of oh, that mountain that's overshadowing that area. When you think of Paran, there is a mountain that is overshadowing that area, and that mountain is Mount Sinai. Uh, it, it's the, the wilderness right before you get to Mount Sinai where they would have gone down and then had to go over to Egypt. Uh, Mount Sinai represents the law. Egypt, and taking a son from Egypt, uh, or a wife for Egypt for his son, represents slavery. So Hagar and Ishmael uh, take a taste of this water from the well in the promised land and turn their backs and walk away and head towards Sinai and the law and Egypt, and slavery. It's actually very tragic. When Paul reads this, that, that's what he sees. He, he looks at Hagar and says, boy, she was right there, but she rejected the word of God and thought, if I can just work hard enough, I can just do it on my own, and that leads to the law and slavery. So, so we, have this, we have this two contrasting children, a, children of, 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 a child of promise and a child of, uh, of slavery. And now we get to the, the, last, the last scene um, that really is going to point to the, the hope of redemption, the hope of redemption. Uh, track along with me now as all of a sudden this random story is there, but there's so many connecting points. Uh, and then I, I want to tell you, I think, what's going on here. Uh, so let's, let's begin in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my 
posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I, did, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These are seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, the place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abram sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. It comes to the end of the chapter. We had seen before in the chapters before that uh, Abraham actually moved from that place that he had uh, planted on the hill in the middle of the promised land, and he moved to, to a place called Gerar, uh, where uh, Abimelech is, and he kind of uh, says, oh, she's my, she's my sister, and because uh, he, he's afraid that he's going to get killed. It's not his land. Abimelech's the king of, of this area. And then we have this really cool exchange where Abimelech glows, look, sojourn anywhere you want. My land, your land. Just enjoy Whatever I can do to help provide, I'll, I'm a gracious host for you. Go, go wherever you want, move freely. But it's not his land. It's Abimelech's land. Uh, but somewhere along the way, Abraham d digs this well because he knows wells are really important. He digs this wells, and as he's gone somewhere, uh, Abimelech's servants go and seize the well, which is okay because it's their land. They can seize the well. So when Abraham and Abimelech, they, they start talking to each other, and, and, and Abimelech's really like, hey, are you going to deal, you're not going to like trick me again, are you? Because that's Abraham's kind of MO. He says, no, I swear I'll be, I'll be, I'll be true to you. I'm, I'm on the up and, up and narrow now. And so Abraham goes, okay, uh, look, there's this well that I dug, and some of your guys took it. And, and it's almost like uh, Abimelech's going, Oh, I didn't hear about that. Well, I can make that right. I mean, you can use, you can use that well whenever you want. I'll, I'll make sure those guys let you use that well. And, and Abraham goes, no, 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 here's a bunch of sheep and oxen, and not only that, here's seven ewe lambs. And you're like, well, why? <laughs> what's going on here? He's like, I want this to be a witness today that I dug this well. This is Abraham's well. In the land of Abimelech, in the land of the Philistines, there is this one well that is Abraham's. Uh, Beersheba. Bear means like pit or well. And, and Shiva uh, means either oath or seven. Uh, the seven ewe lambs and the oath that they committed. There's a whole bunch of play uh, on words here. This well, this little piece of land, uh, becomes like the seedbed of the, the future of the promised land. The fulfillment of the promise, not only in the seed of the child, but in the seed of the land. There's a phrase that you'll hear uh, in the Kings and Samuel and some of the prophets. It says, from, from Dan 
to Beersheba. From Dan to Beersheba. Have you heard that? From Dan to Beersheba. Dan, the farthest northern city in the promised land, to Beersheba, the very southern point in the promised land. This whole thing. And what we saw is that the child of slavery and, and his mother went to the wilderness of Beersheba and there God opened their eyes so that they could see a well of water. A well of water in Beersheba where they had gone to and tasted and turned and rejected and walked towards the, the law and slavery. Now next week we're going to see the child of promise uh, dwelling there in that, in that land for a long time, actually going north to a different mountain. Uh, and it is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is going to do as he goes to uh, Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, where God sees and will provide. One goes north, one goes south. One goes to freedom, one goes to slavery. One goes to life, one goes to death. And it's all from this well in Beersheba. Well, Abraham, uh, he sojourned a long time there. And in fact, he sojourned so long there that he planted a tree right by this well. Now, don't think agricultural, like how are we going to landscape uh, my home here? Uh, I think it has way more to do than, any, than anything like that. It's a sign. It's a sign for us. It's a sign for his family that there under the tree, planted by those living waters, that it didn't matter if there would be drought or anything, that that tree would, would grow and bear fruit and leaves, there under that tree, there would be this child, the seed of promise, and a little boy named Isaac who would grow up. And every day as he would go to this well of water in Beersheba and receive the water as a gift, God has provided this for you. He, he, he would learn to walk under that tree. He would learn how to fall down and be graciously brought back up. He would learn that he could trust the word of the Lord. That well of water in Beersheba was actually offered to everyone. Uh, I, I wonder if uh, Hagar and Ishmael would have said, this skin of water is not providing it. Uh, it runs dry. We have to go to the, the living water and receive the gift. There's nothing that we can work for. We will never be good enough for that. Well, that well of living water is on offer to all of you as well. Um, I think you come to a church service like this and you think, what am I going to do that's going to be better this week? And, and you get to tonight and you're like, I've already messed up again. And you run dry over and over and over. If you're trying to be a good person, if you're trying to work hard enough for it, you feel the burden, you feel the shame. How, when will this ever be done? And the answer is simply to turn to Jesus, who sent his son to die for us, to be resurrected for us, that we can have life and freedom and grace and joy, not because we're good people, but because we know the one who is good. Let me end by reading uh, Paul's commentary on this chapter. Um, and I think uh, if you have even questions about the, the sermon and you're like, what about that? Uh, let's, let's look at Paul and see what, and what he said. Galatians 4 and verse 21. 
He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, under the commands and what you need to do, do you not listen to the law? That's a play on words. That word law is Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. So you who want to know what to do, right? Well, don't you know the story of the Torah? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. Well, where did he get that from? From Genesis 21. Uh, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And here's the indictment. You're on Jerusalem. You're, you're children of grace and, and peace and salvation, and yet you're living like you can be good enough for it. He's like, stop. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will, uh, one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, the, the well of living water, like the Samaritan woman coming to the well day by day uh, and needing a drink of water, and you, Jesus, say, if you knew who it was who was asking, you wouldn't be asking for a skin of water that you could be try and do good enough and it would dry out and you'd feel burdened and overwhelmed. You'd come to me, Jesus, the, and inside of you would be like these living wells, these living waters that, that come up inside of you that give you strength and energy and hope and freedom and promise. Lord, that's what's on offer when we are in relationship, deep relationship with you. When we don't try to be good enough, or do good enough to be your child, we, that we just simply receive the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. And Lord, we respond with a heart of worship and wonder, knowing that, that this is a free gift that we've been given. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. This is outside the sermon, but you know, I always wondered why Abraham left the promised land and headed south. Uh, but as I see, and this is just a pondering, so this is outside the sermon thing, but wondering if Abraham is chasing his lost uh, child who goes all the way to the southernmost border of the promised land and has this well that's mine, that she could, that she could come and live in the promised land. There's a, like Beersheba. It's like one step in the wilderness, one step into the promised land. It's like Abraham went as far as he could go uh, to redeem and rescue her, and she ended up rejecting him. Now, I don't know about that, but I know wherever you are at uh, this morning, uh, 
there is this offer of living water for you. And if you don't drink from that, and if you just come to a service like this, and you're like, give me enough to get through the week, and by the end of the week, you're like, I'm dry, I'm dead, and I can't do anymore, maybe you need to go to the living water, to Jesus, not what you can do.